invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to those two texts in John, uh, John 10, 18, and 19, 10. We're going to be looking at each one of them one at a time. But they are verses about a power struggle. Webster's Dictionary defines power struggle as a situation where two or more people compete for control in a particular sphere. A fight for control. An unpleasant or violent competition for power. Power struggles are as old as time, but they seem to be always ever new. It doesn't take much to realize that we have faced them quite often and quite frequently in American culture as of late. There are national power struggles. We've seen that portrayed in vivid, almost too vivid sometimes, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Power struggles, as we've watched on the nightly news, are dangerous, destructive, and we have seen all too often even deadly. But it's not just national power struggles, but political power struggles. And we've seen them even in America as of recently as well. Republican versus Democrat. We've seen them in recent elections, on the assault on the Capitol. We have seen them played out before our eyes. It's not just out there, it's in here. We've seen it racial power struggles, senseless crimes, rioting, growing tensions between ethnicities. The one behind them all is the spiritual power struggles that take place that the Bible often teaches us and warns us about, and that is God versus Satan, and thankfully, all you have to do is read Revelation to know how that one will end. If you look very carefully at the Gospels, you'll observe, as I did, that Jesus' whole life basically in one way could be summarized as a power struggle. I mean, he wasn't on this earth just a few days, if less, and Herod found out about his birth, and there was a power struggle because his title, although not born to it, was king of the Jews. He was a puppet king given by Rome. But Jesus was prophesied, as he was told, to be born king of the Jews. And of course, for him and his view of power and authority, that was a threat. And so immediately using his power, he tried to have Jesus' life eliminated. Although God rescued him, Jesus would grow up and have a ministry, as we all know. And this whole ministry could be encapsulized in whether you accepted who he was and the authority that he had from God. Would you receive his authority? Would you be willing to live under it? And eventually we know, as we'll celebrate here in a few weeks, that at the end of his life, many, if not most people, chose not to accept that authority. And they chose another authority, which I call Caesar authority. You see, John's gospel talks a lot about authority, 13 times to be exact. 11 of those 13 times are used by Jesus. He talks about the authority that God has given him from heaven and how he came to this earth to use that authority to bring people to God. The other two instances in verses 10 of chapter 19 that I read to you are used by Pilate. Pilate represents Caesar. He represents Rome and the authority that it carries. And so our two texts today, truthfully, are a study in contrasts. Um, there's only two times in John's gospel where the word authority is used together in one verse two times. I call it a double statement. One of them 
is chapter 10, verse 18, by Jesus. The other, which we'll contrast it with, is by Pilate in chapter 19 and verse 10. And if you look at them very carefully, and I encourage you to do that as I preach today, you'll know that the grammatical structure of both double authority statements are the same. Although it's not quite the same in English, it is in the original text. And both of them have these statements, both by Jesus and Pilate. I have authority, and then followed by, I have authority. But although the grammatical structure is the same, the use of their authority is quite different. In fact, polar opposites of one another. See, these texts indicate a power struggle between Jesus and Pilate. Easter is many, many things, wonderful things. One of them is that it is a depiction of God's authority versus man's authority. And this morning, for everyone under the sound of my voice, it poses a choice. It is a choice about this. Whose authority will we live under and whose authority will we live for? See, everyone here this morning must choose that. Everyone here this morning, every day, actually has to choose whose authority that you will live under and whose authority you will live for. So allow me in the few minutes we have remaining just to take these two texts and contrast the authority and as some texts translate it, the power of Caesar versus the power of Christ. So we're going to take them one at a time. So if you're not in chapter 10 verse 18, please start there with me. Christ's power, and I have a label for each one to contrast them. Christ's power is a power of love. Verse 18, let me read it again. No one takes my life, or no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Lay it down is used in verses 11, 15, 17, and 18. Four times. Jesus wants his disciples to know just how he loves them. He wants you to know this this morning. He wants you to know that no one has the authority to take his life from him. He is going to willingly and voluntarily lay it down. Can I tell you, we have to grasp this. Jesus did not come to die because he had to die, or he could have died. He chose it. Jesus chose to give his life. See, death is the result of sin. Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was absolutely pure and holy. So he did not have to die, but he chose it. The old Scottish preacher used to say, this is the radical voluntariness of Jesus' death. He said, I lay it down, verse 18, of my own accord. So what we see at the end of Jesus' life is this. He walked into our execution room. See, he experienced death like every other human being would experience death, although he was not like every other human being. You see, he didn't have to die like we do, but he chose it. See, do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying this, listen, death did not come to me, I came to death. John 18, 4 just flip over a few pages because I actually want you to read this one with me even though it will be on the screen. I want you to see what this means for you and I as Christians. John 18, 4 reads, Then Jesus, watch, knowing all that would happen to him, 
What's the next two words? Came forward. See, they were coming for him, but before they could come for him, he went to them. See, he did it willingly. He wasn't, a, he wasn't someone they had to find. He wasn't someone that he was hiding from them and they had to capture him. He went to the people that would arrest him and crucify him. He found them. Can I tell you this? That is shepherd authority. That is the power of love. If you want to live under the authority of Jesus, this is the kind of love that you will experience from him. His authority, he takes it and he gives his life for sinners. He died for people when he didn't have to. He himself never sinned, but chose to die for people who had become sinners. And in that voluntary power of love, he defeated death. You and I no longer have to worry about it. It has no claim on us. Why? Because he chose to love us that way. You might say, God, the shepherd, he, he would actually, Jesus, would you really love us like that? And his answer would be yes, absolutely. Willingly, I would love you like that. See, he did it knowing, he, listen, knowing all that would happen to him. Do you know what's encapsulated in the word all? He knew that Judas would betray him. And he chose it anyways. He knew that Peter, his number one disciple, would deny him. He chose it anyways. He knew that he would be abandoned by all the disciples. And when he needed them the most, they would not be standing next to him. Even though he knew they would slap his face and spit in it. And they would ridicule him. He knew it. And he chose it anyways. When he had to be flogged by a cat of nine tails, which most people would have died from the extreme torture of it, he chose it anyways. When he would endure the torture, when he would put, put the crown of thorns on his head and the nails in his feet and hand and the spears in his side. See, when he would be crucified naked in, front, in a public place and endure the sin and the shame which he did not deserve. He chose it anyways. See, knowing the crucifixion, knowing that his own father would turn his face away from him as he carried on his own self the sins of the world, knowing all that would happen to him. See, if you build your life around that authority, you'll get that kind of love from him because the power of love is to power under, see? It's the power to lay down your life. It's the power to lay down your rights. It's the power to take the punishment that someone else deserves in order to serve them and to love them. It's the power to let go of your power. Can I say it nicely as I can? Our world knows nothing of that power. Between the two power statements, the double authority statements of Jesus in chapter 10 and Pilate in chapter 9, the, all those chapters are just filled with story after story after story of what it actually looks like when you power under. When you take the authority that God has given to you and the power that he has given to you and you use it to love and serve others because Jesus wants us to know that these are not just words that he says that are void of a context. 
No, what happens in chapters 12 through 17 or 18 is Jesus says, listen, if you want to know what my authority looks like when I power under and I love and serve people sacrificially, I don't want you to be guessing. I want you to see because if you want to follow me, this is the way that you should emulate me. Chapter 12, he rides in on the triumphal entry. He does not ride in on a stallion like the Maccabees did 150 years earlier because they were power over people. Jesus rides in, as Zechariah 9 says, he rides in on a donkey. See, he was not a power over king. He would be a power under king. And the triumphal entry in chapter 12 demonstrated it. One chapter later, chapter 13, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's having Passover with his disciples for the last time. And he says this to them, you call me Lord and Master, power positions. I have authority over you. You call me that. And he says, watch, he doesn't deny. And you say rightly, because I am. It wasn't that Jesus didn't have power like Caesar. It didn't. He had position. He knew who he was. He had all the position and power. But here's what it says. But he took a towel, the towel which he was girded with, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. He says, this is what it looks like. See, this is what the power of love, shepherd authority, it looks like this. It looks like someone who has this kind of position down willingly to take this kind of position. It looks like someone who carries a towel and washes people's feet. In fact, crazy enough, in the same chapter, as they're having the Lord's Supper, they're debating, and Jesus is telling John, someone's going to betray me. And they're all asking who it is, and nobody knows because Jesus didn't tell them. He didn't tell them it was Judas. He could have. He could have powered over and said, you know what? It's him. And they all would have ganged up on him and that would have been the end for Judas, right? He doesn't do that. In fact, at the supper, at the Passover, there was a seat of honor and because Judas could take the, take the little bread and dip it like Jesus told him to, it meant he was sitting next to Jesus at his right hand. Judas was purposely placed in the seat of honor although he was the one to betray him. See, Jesus powered under. He didn't use his power and his position for his own advancement. He used it for others. John 14 through 16 is Jesus' last discourse. And in, in the moment, in his darkest hour, he could have been thinking about himself. He could have been consumed with himself. But you know what he was really consumed with? He wasn't consumed with himself. He was consumed with his disciples. yes the one that would betray him. Yes, the one that would deny him. Yes, the rest of them that would abandon him and not even show up at the cross other than John. Those ones he was consumed in teaching them. Those were the ones he was preparing so the days, when the days came that he wouldn't be there, that they would be ready to face it. See, he was consumed with others. Here's what Jesus says. That's what it looks like to lay your life down. Chapter 17, the fullest rendition by far of Jesus' last prayer that we know of, other than on the cross. Jesus, you would think, knowing all that was going to happen to him, might be consumed with self-pity for himself, but he doesn't. You know how he spends his last hour? In prayer for others. He's powering under. He's not praying for God to deliver him. He's not praying for God. He's praying for God to save them and to keep them from the wicked one. 
See, that's what shepherd authority is about. It's about the power of love. You can build your life on that. But what does it mean? What does it mean for us as Christians? Can I give you a couple practical implications? The first one being this. It means Jesus has the authority over death. Did you hear what he says? I have authority to lay down my life. No one kills me. Now, they're responsible for his murder. Herod, Pilate, Rome, Jews, all of them are responsible. But ultimately, here's what he says. You know who gave me, has authority over my life? God. And he gave it to me. I control whether I live or whether I die. He has the authority of death. You know what that means? You don't have to any longer be afraid of it. We've had a lot of funerals here at Faith Baptist Church recently, haven't we? Can I tell you, when it comes time for yours, you don't have to be afraid. 1990s, it was an article that I read from the 1990s. It was actually a conversation on a news program that there was a um, reporter interviewing a doctor from Japan. And he was asking the doctor from Japan about his relationship with his patients. And I thought it was unusual because I'd never heard of anything like it. And he said that it was normal at that time in Japan for patients, if they had cancer, that the doctor would not tell them. And they didn't want to know about it. And so as they were interviewing the doctor, he says, why in the world would that be? Because in America, we would think that would be malpractice if you didn't tell them, and everyone would want to know. He says, in Japan, no one wants to know. And the doctors don't tell you. So here's how it can happen. You could have surgery, you have cancer, and you don't even know that you have cancer or what kind of cancer, but you know that you need surgery. So they have a surgery on you, wake up, and they may have removed a limb from your body, and you go, oh, that's what I had. And we go, seriously? (laughs) How can that be? They interviewed the doctor, and here's what he said pretty bluntly. He says, you have to understand, we are not a Christian country. We don't believe in a personal afterlife. For us, death is the end of personal consciousness. Therefore, you can't tell anyone that stuff directly. They want to live out their lives the happiest that they possibly can because for them, when this life is over, that's it. And they don't want to know the bad news. You see, we're Christians. And our shepherd, see, he said, I have laid down my, see, I have the authority, I have the authority over death. See, you can face it directly. You can. See, that's what Hebrews 2.4 says, that Jesus 2.14, he delivered us and delivered all of those, all of those who were under the bondage and slavery of death their entire lifetime, he delivered them from it. See, you don't have to go home today and when you get the diagnosis of cancer, you don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> you can face it and you can face it differently. Why? Because Jesus has the authority over death. I mean, and, and so an offshoot of that is this. Ready? Listen. You no longer have to be addicted to what our culture is all addicted to anymore is the obsession with safety and the avoidance of risk. That's what everyone's after nowadays. See, we go on missions trips, but you don't have to be afraid to go on a missions trip. You don't have to be afraid of leaving America to go on a trip. You don't have to be afraid as a parent to let your teenager go. Why? 
because our Savior has conquered it all. See, he has defeated it. He has given us boldness that we can go places that nobody else wants to go in order to spread the gospel. See, you can go in Samoa and spend your life there. You can go to other cultures. You can go down to places that other people might say are a little risky. We can take the risk like the Apostle Paul did. Priscilla and Aquila, Romans 16. These are those who have risked their lives. See, that can be us. That's not just a first century early church thing. That could be Faith Baptist Church. Why? Because Jesus says, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. See, we don't have to be afraid of standing up for what we believe. We don't have to stand, we can stand up and say, hey, lovingly, I can tell you this, it's wrong what you're doing. That this is wrong, that we don't believe. We don't believe in homosexual marriage. We don't believe in transgender, and we can say it lovingly. We can say it kindly. We, we know what a man is, and we know what the definition of a woman is. See, we know those things. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to get in your face, but we can have to say, this is lovingly. This is what the truth of the Bible says. You know why? Because Jesus has all authority. See, you can trust your shepherd with your life. Whereas shepherd authority is the power of love. I would say Caesar power, or I'm gonna show you Satan power and authority is the opposite. It is the love of power. See, turn to chapter 19 and verse 10. Pilate said to him, meaning Jesus, you'll not speak to me because he's questioning Jesus. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. His life is at stake. And Jesus, up until now, has answered him nothing. He hasn't said a word to him. Why? He's not intimidated. He's doing exactly what I tell you that we can do. He has, Pilate isn't going to take his life. He gives it willingly. See, he's not intimidated by Pilate. Pilate stands for Caesar in Rome. And usually what Pilate's used to is criminals that have been flogged and are waiting crucifixion are either screaming and ranting and raving that they're going to take their revenge and God will take care of you someday, or they're begging in tears for mercy. Jesus does neither because he has a different kind of authority. And so Pilate matches Jesus' double authority statement of chapter 10 with his own, and Pilate says, I have authority too, you know. I have authority to release you, we would say today, to free you, and I have, a, I have authority to crucify you. Same grammatical structure, completely different polar opposite use of authority. Pilate has authority, and here's how he uses it. He uses it to make people do what he wants, and if they don't, he punishes them. That's power that our world has. And by the way, don't fool yourself, we at times are tempted to use it too. Peter did. John 18, 10, it says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck off Malchus, who was the priest's servant's ear. Now, I guarantee you he wasn't going for the ear. But he did get the ear, and Jesus reaches up and heals him. But here's what, P- John, here's what Simon Peter knows. This is power. Power, Jesus, they're not gonna take you And he thinks he has to defend Jesus. You know why? Because he doesn't understand what real power is. 
And so we think in our culture, even as Christians like Simon Peter, that you know what we need to do? We need to draw the sword, as it were. We need to power over people. We need to force them and push them and manipulate them. Why? To do what we want them to do. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. You know why? Shall I not drink the cup my Father has given me? Jesus is standing before Pilate just a few verses later down in John 18, 36, and 38. And Pilate asks him, are you a king? Meaning, do you have authority or not? And Jesus says, oh, you are right. I am a king. But here's what he says. But not one like you. Because he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my soldiers would have been fighting. See, different kingdom, different methodologies. Pilate's kingdom is about powering over. So there are swords and weapons, and you, you power and make people do what you want by force. And if they don't, you punish them and kill them even if you have to. And Jesus says, see, I am a king, but not like you, because I don't have that kind of a kingdom. See, my servants would have been fighting, but they're not. Because my kingdom is not about powering over Pilate like yours. Mine's about powering under. Christ's power gives life. Caesar's power takes life. Christ's power lets go of power. Caesar's power holds on to power. Christ's power says, I want to change people. Caesar's power says, I want to control people. Do you see the difference? Not the first time for Jesus as he, that he's faced this kind of power that Pilate, on behalf of Caesar, is displaying. Because at the very beginning of his ministry, just listen, don't turn there, he is being tempted by the devil. Satan comes to him in Luke 4, in verses 5 through 7, and he says this to Jesus as the God-man. To you I will give all of this same word, authority, and its glory. See, all you have to do, he, he says, is worship me. Because he says, see all this authority I have? And he had showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one shot. He was at a high mountain. He said, look at all the kingdoms. Look at Rome. Look at all these. See all the power and authority they have? He sees what Satan says. See, it's been given to me, and I can give it to you because I can give it to whoever I want. If you'll just worship me, listen to this promise. Sound familiar? It'll all be yours. It'll all be yours. Satan has authority. There's no doubt about it. Herod had authority. Pilate had authority. Caesar had authority. The soldiers had authority. But can I tell you this? All of their authority is derivative. You know what derivative means? It didn't and didn't, doesn't originate in them. They're not the source of it. You know where Satan got his earthly power? God. God gave it to him. See, he had no power on his own. It was derivative. It came from someone else, namely God. And so exactly what Jesus says to Pilate, he speaks. When he finally speaks to Pilate, he says this to Pilate. Not anything Pilate would have saw coming. Here's what Jesus said. You, verse 11, chapter 19, 11, you would have no authority over me. No authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. You know what he's saying, Pilate? I'm not afraid of you. See, here's what you're, he, he, Pilate, I'm going to be crucified. You're right. I am. And you think it's your idea, but actually it's just all part of God's plan. See, he's the one who gave you the power to do it. Pilate, you're not in control. God is. 
Can you imagine standing before someone who's going to torture you in the most shameful, awful death that crucifixion is? And here's what you say. This is not your, you're not in charge. You think you're in charge. You're not. God is. We could say it this way. Pilate meant it for evil. God meant it for good. See, that's the problem with the power of the love of power, isn't it? You have to hold on to it to further the facade that you're actually in control. You know, amazingly enough in this passage, there's a little subplot going on because I want to tell you how the love of power works. See, Pilate powers over Jesus, but while he's doing that, listen, the Jews are powering over Pilate. (laughs) They want to make sure that Pilate does exactly what they want him to do with Jesus. And so if there's any wishy-washy going on, should I release him? I find him to be innocent. Pilate's not sure what he's going to do. And so you know what the Jews do? They power over. The Jews do it. See, it's easy to say, oh yeah, Caesar, not a surprise. Rome, not a surprise. Power over people to the max. I get it. God's people, the Jews, do the same thing. You know what they say? Hey, if you let this guy go, you are not Caesar's friend. You know what that is? Power play. You know what they say to him? Hey, should I release to you your king? You know what they say? And this is totally a lie and hypocrisy because they didn't believe for a second. We have no king but Caesar. That's a joke. They hated Caesar. But you know what? They'll say it. Why? Because you do what you got to do to hold on to power. See, both Pilate and the Jews, non-religious and religious people, They want to control, so they power over. You see, they don't really care about truth. They don't care about what is right. You know what they care about? Control. They want to control anyone who is a threat to them holding on to their authority. Now, easy, right? It's easy. Let's look out at Russia. Vladimir Putin has Caesar power and he's going to do everything he has or can do to hold on to it. Of course, Pastor Walker, it's wicked, it's evil, and you're absolutely right. And it's so easy to see it. But what about you? What about you? What about me? Do you need power over others? Do you have to hold on to the power as if somehow as it's an end in and of itself? And if so, Why? You know why often it's true? Because we have an inner emptiness that we're not willing to admit to. See, we need the honor and the glory. Did you hear what Satan said? I'll give you, Jesus, all the authority, listen, and their glory. See, why do people want to hold on to power? Why do you want to power over people in your relationships? You know why? You want to hold on to the glory. You want to hold on to the honor, the significance, how it makes you feel. See, I am somebody. If I'm over you and I'm smarter than you and I'm better arguer than you and I'm, see, I'm, I'm significant, see, and Satan knew it. So we do what we do. We have to do to hold on to it, even if we have to power over people and threaten them. So do you power over people to win an argument so that you can prove that you're actually smarter than them so that you can make yourself feel better about it? See, do you power over your wife Do you have power over your children? I'm the head of this home. Because you have a hunger inside to be in control 
And you're going to wield that power and not your wife or your children or anyone else is going to take it away from you. Do you have power over, do you power over people at work? Do you power over people in your relationships here at church? You know, I am a pastor. I am a deacon. I run this ministry, you say. And we do it often because we want to fill the vacuum of emptiness that's inside. See, that's why the abuse of power takes place, isn't it? Because people don't use power as a tool to serve and help others. They use it as armor to protect their power. They use it to convince themselves and everybody else that you do matter. That's why we power over And the question that these two parallel texts screams to us side by side is this. How do you get out of that? How do you transform Caesar power into Christ's power? Let me tell you, and I'll close, what it does, what it is and isn't. What it isn't is this. It's not that you don't ever have power. John 18, 1 through 9, Jesus is in the garden and The religious leaders, it says, send this band of soldiers with Judas. And it says that, a band of soldiers, John 18, 3. Now, a band is the word cohort, and a cohort in the Roman legion was one-tenth of a legion. A legion was 6,000. So it's not this little small group of people coming to get Jesus. It's 600 soldiers. Now, you say, Jesus had 12 disciples, so why did they need 600? They know what Jesus can do. They've seen him recently raise Lazarus from the dead. They know he has power. And truthfully, he does. But they think that he's going to use it the way they would. That's why they need 600. But they get there and they have lanterns, torches, and weapons, it says. And they come to Jesus and he says, who do you seek? And he says, they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And it says in the Bible, I am he. But literally it is the verb, I am. He says, I am God. I am That's God's name. And here's what it says. All 600 soldiers draw back and fall to the ground just at his word of God's name. That's power. That same evening, Peter sees things going south, so he takes that sword out that he has, cuts off Malchus's ear, and in Matthew 26, a different version of the same story, Jesus says, put it back, Don't you know, Peter, I could call to my father and he would give me, listen to the comparison, 12 legions of angels, a cohort, one-tenth of one legion versus 12 legions. That's 72,000 angels versus 600 men. Jesus had it covered. He had Caesar power, more than Caesar power. He had more power than Caesar or anyone in this world would ever have dreamed of. But you know what the difference was? He didn't use it like that. He didn't use it as armor. He didn't use it for his advancement. It was a tool. A tool for what? The advancement of the kingdom of God. So what did he do with it then? He gave it away. He gave it up. See? And he did it to serve others, starting with Malchus's ears, Peter's renewal, and you and I's redemption. See, that's what power is for. Caesar power says this, I am Rome, I have power, I can crush you like a bug, I can crucify you. Christ's power says, I am God, I have power, I can crush you like a bug, but instead I choose to be crushed by you and for your sin. 
That's the difference. That's what our world doesn't know anything about. And I'm afraid sometimes as Christians, we might not know much about it either. Real power is sacrificial service because it drinks cups of wrath. Real power doesn't brandish swords, it carries crosses. Real power doesn't stomp its feet, it washes the feet of others. Real power doesn't power over, it powers under. So be honest when I ask the question today, do you have a problem with authority? And I'm not talking about Caesar's, I'm talking about Jesus's. Do you have power with his authority? If you do, you're making the biggest mistake of your life because if you ever want to love in a way that no one else could ever love you, you've got to learn to power under. Put yourself under his authority. I'm a sinner and I need a savior and you're my only hope. See, he calls to you, let go. Let go of your power. Surrender your life to me. Follow me. Take up your cross and know the greatest power in the universe. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to come and sing a closing hymn, and it will be dismissed for our small groups. I hope you can stay. But you might be here this morning, and you'd say, Pastor Walker, listen, I live for and live under the power of Caesar. See, it's getting revenge. It's taking it out on others. It's making them do what I want. See, that's how I treat my family. That's how I treat my friends. See, that's how it works at my job, so I take it home. I'm in charge at work, so let me tell you, I, I should be in charge at home too, right? See, that's how it is at church. I want to do this. I want it my way, and I'm going to move people and push people to get my way because it's about me. See, that's satanic authority. It promises everything and comes through with nothing but emptiness. See, you have to hold on to that power to keep filling the emptiness, but it always comes back to being there. But Christ's power is so radically different. See, the void is filled by Jesus and his presence and his power to transform your life through his cross, which to everyone's vantage point looked like the greatest weakness of all, but it was the greatest power ever. If you've never come to that cross for the forgiveness of your sins, see, he invites you into that power relationship, and it's the power of love, and that power can transform your life now and for eternity. If you don't know him, seek him. God's grace can only help you do that. But we're here for you. We'd love to take the scriptures and show you how you can know the greatest power of love there has ever been. And if you're a Christian, you know it, don't be afraid to die. Don't be afraid to risk it. Don't be afraid to sacrifice, to serve and love and help others. Because that's the love that he showed to you. Father, take your word this morning. And as Hebrew says, mix it with faith that it might transform our lives, that we might leave here different this morning because we've been in your presence and we've heard from your word. And may it all be for your great glory alone. Accomplish what only your authority can in our hearts now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.